title of my message this morning is A Life Under Construction. Two weeks ago, I was uh, down in Nashville with Luke and Sam, and we attended a church in the morning, and then we double-dipped and went to another one in the evening. And, and in between, I, <clears throat> the next day, I guess, I think it was Monday, I forget, I listened to uh, Ben's message that he shared here at the church, challenging us to live lives that would bring glory and honor to God, challenging us to be different from the world, that we should look different, that our lives should look different. And then there was one part that I especially liked. There was a part where he was reminding us that no matter how old we are, how long we've been in Christ and been a child of God, no matter how long it's been, that nobody's perfect. You all remember him saying that, that we're here? Yeah? Except, he did say, except for... Mike, Uh, all right, I like this guy. The only problem with listening to our sermons and recordings is you don't hear the congregation. I was waiting for resounding amens. All I think I could hear was laughter in the background. So I figured out I'm still a life under construction, probably greater construction than most of us in this room. Wouldn't it be nice... Wouldn't it be nice if we were a project that was absolutely completed the moment we accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior? Wouldn't it be amazing that at that moment I truly represented Christ, that I truly had the mind of Christ, that I lived my life and walked my life out like Christ did, and that therefore I would be this walking, living testimony of Jesus? Wouldn't it be nice if it happened that way? Well, the reality is that is the ultimate goal of the Holy Spirit in each one of our lives. Did you know that? No wonder it takes a while for this construction project to get finished. His goal is to transform us into the image of Christ. We should be progressively being transformed day by day by day into the image of Christ. And walking and being a living testimony of who he is. Wouldn't it be nice to be made perfect right away? Can you imagine never, ever sinning again? I mean, not even having a sinful thought? Wouldn't that have been nice if that's the way this worked out? But it didn't. The reality is sometimes some of us, probably sometimes all of us, have kind of had that expectation put on us by other people. Oh, you're a Christian? You're supposed to be perfect? What about? How could you? You did. You said. You ever had anybody throw that one in your face? That because you're a Christian and they know it, somehow or other you're already supposed to be perfect. Boy, that's not that much fun. But you know what's even worse than that? Is when we put that expectation on ourselves. And sometimes we do that. Sometimes a lot of us do that. We put this expectation that somehow we're supposed to now be perfect. And boy, oh boy, is that frustrating. When we do that, as soon as we do that, as soon as we somehow think we've got this thing mastered, we mess up. And we mess up and almost immediately, it's like a little door that opens We mess up, a little door opens, and here comes the lies of the enemy just pushing their way in. Shame, 
guilt. How could I? And then it, right alongside that comes all their relatives and friends of frustration, hopelessness, this whole attitude of just giving up and throwing in the towel. Yeah, you're right. What kind of Christian am I? If I was really a Christian, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't. Well, you know, there's a truth to that, and Ben shared it so well two weeks ago. We should be living a life that brings glory to God. The sin in our life should be decreasing. We should be seeing the more and more of the image of Christ in our life and in our walk. We should, absolutely. But we're still going to mess up. We're still going to mess up. You know, if you've been around this church very long, John 10.10 is a really important verse in this church. You know, our, our mission statement is, you know, we, we want to help people discover and experience the abundant life in Christ. John 10.10 10 says, you know, that the devil, the enemy, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And man, he stays on focus. His purpose is clearly defined by God and his word. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And that's where he stays. It doesn't matter where you and I may go in our walk and what we're doing, where we're going. He's focused. Steal, kill, and destroy. But the rest of that verse says for us, and this is what we claim and hang on to, I came, Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Abundant life in Christ. I, I think I have a second slide there that shows you what the Barnes commentary says about that word, especially the word abundantly. It says literally this means that they may have abundance or that which abounds. The word denotes that which is not absolutely essential to life, but which is super added to make life happy. They shall not merely have life's simple, bare existence, but they shall have all those super-added things that are needful to make that life eminently blessed and happy. He came to give us a life. He promises to meet our needs, and that's awesome. And you know what? That would have been enough. I mean, can you imagine if someone in the natural, someone, another human being comes up to you and says, I'm going to meet every need in your life. Man. That person just became my best friend. Every need, I don't need to worry about my clothes anymore. I don't need to worry about having a car or a house or or all of these things that I, food. I don't have to worry about those things anymore. That would have been awesome. But, But Jesus says, I came not only to meet your needs, but to give you life and give it you abundantly. The the fruit of the Spirit. I mean, people would trade away millions and millions of dollars for all the love, joy, peace, hope, goodness, patience, etc. of the fruit of the Spirit. And Jesus says, I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. The abundant life. You know, in the Old Testament, God's chosen people, you've expounded to Christ, there's a call on your life, and you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're God's chosen people. In the Old Testament, his chosen people, Israel, the nation of Israel, they were given a promise of the promised land. And I like to make a comparison in my mind when I look into the Word of God of they went and entered into their promised land, a land of abundance, a land that said overflowing with milk and honey, this picture of abundance, the abundant life, the promised land. We have an abundant life available to us. In other words, we have a promised land available to us through Christ as Christians. 
And the moment, the moment that we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we have entered into that promised land. Only in part, we don't see all of it, but the abundance is there for us. And I'm going to come back to that a little later. But I want to talk a little doctrine first. And some of this information I'm going to share is directly out of a Bible doctrine book by Wayne Grudem. There's two terms that we need to understand. And we need to understand the difference between them. And I'm not going to go into super detail, but I think we need to understand this because the enemy uses our learning process to his advantage. When we mess up, he comes after us. He comes after us with lies. He's coming to try and steal your joy, your hope. He's trying to convince you, you know, first and foremost, you're not really saved. You're not really saved. If you were, you, you wouldn't. These two terms need to be clear in our mind and we understand them. The first term is justification. And the term justification, there's lots of definitions. We simplify things. Sometimes we say things like just as if we've never sinned, justification. And that's true. But I think that even shortchanges the fullness of the meaning of that word of justification. Justification is an instantaneous legal act of the forgiveness of sin and the imputation or the giving of Christ's righteousness to us. Our sins are forgiven. It's a legal act. It's taken care of one time for all. There's five points under justification that I just want to touch on briefly that are so important for us to understand. First, so we understand just what has been done for us and already given to us and can't be taken from us. And then to compare it to sanctification. So justification, first, it's legal standing. You know what our legal standing was before we accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior? We were condemned. We were condemned. Sin condemned us. The Word of God says that all have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. All were condemned. And a little further in Romans it says in chapter 6 that the wages, the penalty for sin is death. That was our legal standing. The unbelieving world doesn't know it. I didn't know it at the time before I accepted Christ. I thought I was pretty cool and on the right track, for goodness sakes. I was wrong. Standing before God at that moment, if an unbeliever stands before the judge, you know what? The jury's already decided. They're condemned. But the instant we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, legal standing changes. And the second point under it, once for all time. We don't get justified over, get justified again, get justified again. We don't get sort of justified. And we're getting closer to ultimate justification. And then we have a couple bumps in the road. And, you know. No. With justification, legal standing is changed one time instantly. We now stand before the judge. That day when we stand before the judge, innocent, righteous, in Christ, through Christ all because of what Jesus did. We are justified. And it's entirely, point three here, God's work. He does it and did it all. I cannot earn one inch closer to justification. I can't do it. The enemy will try to, the world will try to, some religion tries to convince you that you've got to do, 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 do to get justified. Not true. There may be things that we should do, but that's after justification. 
has nothing to do with us getting justified. It's all God's work. He looked at us. He saw the sentence. We were condemned to death. He had a plan. He sent his son, Jesus, to earth. He had his son go to the cross. He had his son die and suffer and experience the fullness of the wrath of God, the full penalty that we deserve. He had his son receive it all. And when it was finished and Jesus said it was finished, the father said, oh, thank goodness. It's over. He raised Jesus from the dead and he offers us the fruit of all of his work, our salvation. He did it all. Justification. Jesus and God the Father did it all. And it's perfect in this life. You are perfectly justified if you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If not, you're condemned. Hope there's no one in here condemned. But if you haven't personally acknowledged that Jesus is the Son of God, that he came to earth and died for your sins, your sins, and you surrender your life to him and accept the gift of salvation, you are condemned. This is the biggest no-brainer in all of history. Justification, freely offered at the tremendous cost of Jesus' death and suffering. It's perfect. And lastly, it's the same for every single one of us. You're not more justified than me, and I'm not more justified than you. I don't care if you have been a Christian for 15 seconds or less or whether you've been a Christian for 50 years or more, we're all equally justified. has nothing to do with any of us. And we can't allow those lying voices of the enemy to, to cause us to waver on that truth for a moment. Do I believe that we're all saved in here? Probably not. But I believe if you've accepted Jesus Christ and your personal Lord and Savior, you're totally forever justified. And if you haven't, you need to. It's as simple as that. And surrender our life to him. Justification. The second word or term or theological term, if you would, or the doctrine of is sanctification. Notice the definition here. It's a progressive work of God and man. It's a progressive work of God and man that makes us more free from sin and more like Christ. Again, five points underneath it. Sanctification is an internal condition. There is a change that's taking place in my life. The moment I accept Christ, sanctification begins. The moment I am justified, in other words, the moment this process of sanctification begins, God initiates it. It's all on Him He gets all the credit because justification starts it, but it requires cooperation. It's continuous throughout life. As Ben stressed two weeks ago, and as I want to stress today, this process does not stop throughout our lifetime. It doesn't stop. We will never be absolutely perfect in Christ like Christ, living a sinless life in this life. It won't happen. It is a continuous project. It started at our justification. 
but it continues on. This inward change, this internal thing takes the rest of our life. And we have to cooperate. I said in justification, we are all equal. There's nobody more justified or less justified than anybody else. But sanctification, we are all in different places in the process of sanctification. And you know what? It it doesn't just depend on how long we've been a Christian. It can influence it. But a big part of it is, are we cooperating with God in the process of our sanctification? God has given the Holy Spirit to live and dwell in us. Remember, his ultimate goal would be to transform us into the likeness of Christ. And we have to cooperate. There are things that we do in our lives, these things that are, maybe they're they're even habitual sin. Maybe we we just have a tendency to give in to the lust of the flesh in certain areas of our life, whatever they are. But the the less we cooperate when the Holy Spirit, you know, a Christian, the Holy Spirit's going to speak. In our life, the Holy Spirit will speak to us. The Holy Spirit will convict us. And then what happens is up to us. Mike, you shouldn't do that. Mike, is that truly Christ living in you when you get into a rage? When you get critical? When you judge? Is that re- when you do the fill in the blank? Is that really? And if I respond and cooperate... The sanctification process just keeps going and I'm getting more sanctified. But if I just, I kind of like that sin. Yeah, I know, I know, I know, but all the Nelsons have been like that. It's just kind of a family curse. Exactly. Let's break it. You know, we can, we can so easily, you know what? The world says it's okay. The culture that we live in says it's okay. This book is an archaic book. It's written so long ago by a bunch of guys who wanted to ruin my fun. The culture says it's okay. It doesn't matter what the culture says. The Holy Spirit in you will reveal to you what the Word of God says. And he doesn't change his mind. You know, some of our favorite sins are holding us back. They're holding us back in this process of sanctification. We need to cooperate. We are not going to be perfect in this life, and it is greater in some than in others. I think I have a slide just putting them up side by side. I don't know if the print's big enough for you to read it or not. But there is a difference between the two. And I believe for our own well-being and keeping the enemy at bay in certain areas of his accusations, we need to understand Justification is legal standing, sanctification, internal condition, once for all time, continuous. Entirely God's work, we cooperate. Perfect in this life, never perfect in this life. The same in all Christians, greater in some than in others. When we can get that, that much doctrine, sound, solid in us, it really gives us a truth to resist the devil, to resist him when he comes with his accusations. Now, sometimes, and I hope this is none of us, but, you know, when you say it's never going to be perfect in this life, we take that and say, there's the card I want to take out of the deck. (laughs) I'm never going to be perfect anyway. So this little one's no big deal or that little one's no big deal. 
And everybody notice, have you ever noticed that somebody's big deal is sometimes different than somebody else's big deal? In God's eyes, it's sin, and we need to deal with it. So we don't ever want to get to that place where we use it as an excuse not to do our part. I could give you a whole list of scriptures that talk about striving for holiness, crucifying the flesh, and we could go on. We have a part to play, no doubt about it. You know, understanding God's role and our role in this process of becoming more like Christ and living the abundant life, seeing the fulfilling of that promised land in our life, knowing the roles are important for us. You know, there's a phrase, and I've used it before, and you've probably heard it, especially if you're worrying and you're all upset about something. Some good, good, well-intentioned, kind person says, you know, you just need to let go and let God. That sounds really nice for as far as it goes. Let go and let God. I think I'll just sit down right here and let go and let God do it. You know what, if Troy and Kim would have tried that, it wouldn't have worked so good. You, you can't just let go and let God. Now, on the flip side of that is, okay, thanks, God, for saving me. I got it from here. I got it. I, I can clean up my act. I can do this. I can do that. I can. I can. I can. Guess what? That doesn't work either. We need God doing his part, us doing our part, cooperating in this process of sanctification. And as we're both doing our part, the transformation in us happens so much more quickly and, quite frankly, so much more painlessly. We create so many problems for ourselves when we just get idle and decide we're not going to do anything, we'll let God do it. It's not going to change a whole lot. And we get into even more trouble, I think, when we say, okay, guys, I got it. Let's, let's do this on our own. You know, and the more talents, the more gifts that you have, the easier it is to get over here and become independent of God. I can handle this. You know, the best way for that to get taken care of is, okay, God, I was wrong. I'm in big trouble now. Let's get back on the same page here. Let's work this out. The acts of the flesh, if we do this over here, and I I speak from experience, and I'm sure some of you can relate. If I'm going to do this all in the flesh, guess what happens? I screw it up. I mess up. I sin. And if I don't deal with that right away, all of a sudden I start to feel a little guilty about that. Then I start to feel a little shamed of that. And as each one of these is coming, I'm getting a little bit further from where God wants me, near Him. And before long, I'm kind of isolating myself. Then I start having these thoughts of maybe what's the point? I can't do it anyway. I'm wore out. I'm tired. I'm fatigued. I'm exhausted. And boy, am I ripe for the enemy to just rip me to shreds. We don't want to try to do this in the flesh without the Holy Spirit co-oping with us in this process. So we need to cooperate with God. They both, God's role and our role, both need to be involved in this process of sanctification leading us to the abundant life. I'm going to share a story from the Old Testament. And I I really, I remember the first time I saw it in this light. It, 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 It excited me and encouraged me. It's in Exodus, chapter 23, verses 25 through 33. And I'm just going to read it. And as I'm reading it or as you're reading it, I want you to now notice 
the two different roles. God's role, look how many times he says, I will. But you'll notice in there is our role. So he's speaking to Israel. They've been in captivity. They've been going through the desert experience, being humbled by God, creating a trust in him. Doing it their own way didn't work so well. And then it says in Exodus 23, verse 25, Worship the Lord your God, and his blessings will be on your food and on your water. I will take away sickness from among you, and none of you will ever miscarry or be barren in your land. I will give you a full lifespan. I will send my terror ahead of you and throw into confusion every nation you encounter. I will make all your enemies turn their backs and run. I will send the hornet. The hornet. Thought about that too. Ahead of you to drive the Hivites, the Canaanites, and the Hittites out of your way. But I will not drive them out all in a single year because the land would become desolate and the wild animals too numerous for you. Little by little, I will drive them out before you until you have increased enough to take possession of the land. I will establish your borders from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines and from the desert to the river. I will hand over to you the people who live in the land and you will drive them out before you. Do not make a covenant with them or with their gods. Do not let them live in your land or they will cause you to sin against me because the worship of their gods will certainly be a snare to you. Notice, I will, I will, I will. And then in the midst of it, but you need to. You need to. You need to. You need to do and you need don't do. You need to do these. These things have to be in there because otherwise it's not going to happen. If you look at just verses 29, I think this is a separate slide. Verse 29, it says, I will not drive them out in a single year. Because the land would become desolate and the wild animals too numerous for you. Little by little, I will drive them out before you until you have increased enough to take possession of the land. He says, I'm going to drive them out. I will give them to you. It's all yours. Here it all is. But you will drive them out. You need to do these things. And by the way, once you're in the promised land, man, don't let them live there with you. Don't let them live there with you. Because you will begin to get into idolatry. You will start to worship other gods. And that is going to be a snare for you. Little by little. You know, have you ever gotten to the point, and again, I have more than once, where you say, God, how much more garbage can there be in one man? I mean, really, you've you've dealt with this, you've dealt with this, you've dealt with this. And it seems like I no more than get done celebrating what you've done. And oh boy, I got to go through it again. Anybody experience that? And does anybody then say, Lord, just do it all at once and let's get it over with. I said that too. (laughs) And boy, oh boy, am I glad he doesn't answer that prayer. Little by little, he will drive out those things. Little by little, sanctification is a process. Little by little. The Word of God says, I will never allow any temptation to come upon you that I will not provide the way of escape. 
Man, he knows. You know, we are like an onion, layer upon layer upon layer. Man, he gets rid of that layer, and I go, ha, all right. Then the next layer is there, and it's ugly as the first layer. And it seems like the closer and the more he deals with, the uglier what's left is. And that should be normal. Because as we're walking more and more towards holiness, becoming more like Christ, whatever there is still in us should look worse and worse. We have a greater understanding of holiness, living a life that would please Him and bring glory to Him. Little by little, I'll drive the enemy out. I believe that the application in our lives is the same, little by little, because he knows if, if all of a sudden it was all taken out of us and we're not spiritually mature, we're not renewed in our mind the way we need to be, we have not had our faith and our trust and our confidence built up the way it should, we're going to get crushed. Defeat would just come. He told Israel, little by little, man, if I'd have been walking around the desert for 40 years and I finally got my foot in the promised land, I'd say, Really? You're not, you said you'll drive them out. What's the big deal? Just drive them out. God says, there's no way you're ready for this. There's no way. You, the land, the animals, you can't handle it. So many things in our life. If we could see, I mean, man, I don't know what it would look like, but if we could see the, the real deepest root sin in our life, the root stronghold in our life, what would it look like? I don't think I want to see it. I want him to just peel away one layer at a time because I don't want to go there until he knows I can handle it. And that's the beautiful thing about sanctification. We have the Holy Spirit working, the living God working in us to transform us into the image of Christ, and we just cooperate and the word of God is so clear when we obey. That's kind of another word for cooperation. I've been trying to avoid it because I know we don't like to obey. When we just obey, it brings blessing, great blessing in our lives. The promised land. The people had to remember the word of God. They had to stand on the word of God. They had to have faith and trust in the word of God. As they're facing, facing an army or a nation, and he says, go get them. I've already given them to you. They had to trust. Didn't matter what the enemy looked like. Didn't matter how many there were. Just go because he told you to. He will provide the way to accomplish this. You know, Grudem uses two phrases, passive involvement and active involvement. We are passively involved in what God is doing in our life by just believing it, trusting it. He says he will break all those strongholds in my life. He will set me free from the power of sin and death. It's already done in, in, in practicality, but we get, in theoretically, but it's got to be worked out. He's promised these things. We need to act by faith, believe and trust, passive, and then there's active involvement. We just got to do what we know we're supposed to do. As Ben said, we need to do what the Word of God says we're supposed to do. We need to do what the Holy Spirit is prompting us to do. And in just a second, the last scripture I'll share, we're not quite there yet, but it shouldn't be that hard because he promises to do it. Little by little, the Lord deals with each one of us. We need to know and trust the word of the Lord and all its promises just like Israel did. 
He has a promised land for each one of us. God, that destiny that he has for us. You know, no matter how hard that destiny looks, you know, down the road, you know, Troy and Kim had to take some real chances here. They had to really step out in faith. For what I mean, there was some of us telling them they're a little nuts to do this. I mean, their pastor might even have said that. But when you know what the Lord is prompting you, and you go through it, and it's not all easy, just because the Lord tells you to do it doesn't make it easy. But it gives us a faith and a confidence in him. And you know what? There will come a time when they're way out here somewhere into their destiny. They'll look back at all that and say, that wasn't so bad. This is tough. Because it's going to require more trust and more faith. And it's the same for every one of us. The sanctification process, becoming more like Christ. You know, I, we all want to do the things that Jesus did, right? It's biblical, isn't it? You know what? If we, we start walking out each day what he is prompting us to do and building our faith, creating greater and greater trust, we will walk in the kind of authority that he has already declared we have. It's a, it's a win-win opportunity. But it's hard work. But Philippians 2, verse 12 and 13. Therefore, my dear friends, this is Paul writing to the Philippian church. He says, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, to continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Continue to work out your salvation in fear and trembling has nothing to do with justification. If, I were, if it was going to be written more literally, it would probably read something like this. Work out the benefits of your salvation with fear and trembling. You're justified. You're saved. Work it out. There is so much in this package called justification. Work it out. Walk it out by faith. Live it. The benefits. Grab hold. And then he says, and this is the part that I really like, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. It is God who gives you the will, gives you the desire to do the right thing, and it is God who then gives you the power, the ability, the grace to do the right thing. Man, there's a lot of pressure on God. He's going to create in me a desire, and then he's going to give me the ability to do it. I have to cooperate. It reads a little differently, (coughs) excuse me, in the Living Bible. I'm going to go ahead and read it from there. It says, Dearest friends, when I was there with you, you were always so careful to follow my instructions. And now that I'm away, you must be even more careful to do the things that result from being saved, to do the things that result from being saved, to embrace the benefits and the blessings of being saved. Obeying God with deep reverence, shrinking back from all that might displease him. For God is at work within you, helping you want to obey him and then helping you to do what it is he wants you to do. We just need to cooperate in this process. You know, I want to just jump back a moment. When, when he warned the Israelites in Exodus, don't let the enemy live in the land. Drive them out. You know, one of the things that we do in this process of sanctification is we let the, let the enemy live in the land. 
We cannot continue to keep these favorite precious sins in our life, thinking we can just dabble with them or let them be part of us. But we, you know, we we know, but God will wink at us once in a while, I think. Won't he? Come on. Don't, Don't let him live in the land. Idolatry will enter in. Anything that we put ahead of God in our lives is an idol. And he told the Israelites that idolatry, worshiping those other gods, whether it's materialism, greed, fulfilling our lusts of the flesh, whatever it is, by giving into those things, we are putting them ahead of God and they're becoming idols in our life. And he says, they will be a snare for you. They'll be a snare. They're a trap. So we need to get them out of our life. Completely. Remove them. So today, this morning, I just want to encourage you to remember the difference between justification, the act of justification, and the process of sanctification. God wants to, by the Holy Spirit, build a Christ-likeness in every one of us. That's his construction project in our lives, to build a Christ-likeness. And when he does this, as we cooperate, the abundant life manifests more and more and more in our life. The abundant life, and you can, you can describe it and define it, that I'm almost just satisfied with the fullness of the fruit of the Spirit. God, I want to walk out the abundant life. I want to live in the abundant life. What's that look like, Mike? I might just say, you know what? It looks like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I'll, I'll take that. Let that be my abundant life, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And you know what? It's already in there. It's his fruit. And in the process of sanctification, more and more of that fruit comes out of us, and we get to live in it and walk in it. And the last scripture I want to close with, dealing with our lives that are under construction, is simply this in Philippians 1, verse 6. When I read it, you'll recognize it. Being confident of this very thing, that he which has begun a good work in me will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He that has done a good, it's a guarantee from God's word. He that has begun a good work in us. He has begun the sanctification process the moment he released grace into our lives to believe by faith who Jesus Christ is and what he did. And he will complete it until the return of Jesus Christ. Let's close in prayer. Lord, I thank you so much for the legal change that took place in the life of every single one of us here who believe that Jesus is the Son of God and died for our sins. And we accept that gift of salvation, that we are no longer condemned, but we have been totally set free. Thank you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit lives and dwells in me and and that we do not have to try to to work this thing out, this sanctification, this renewing, this, this whole process of becoming more like Christ. We don't have to figure it out on our own. We couldn't do it. I thank you that your Holy Spirit is our guide. He is our teacher. He will encourage us when we need encouragement. He will rebuke us when we need to be rebuked. He will correct us and discipline us when that's what's necessary. He will build us up and strengthen us. And Lord, you will give us the grace 
to respond in obedience in this process of sanctification, this process of us being transformed, this process of us being built up into the image of Christ will bring glory and honor to you. So Lord, I pray this morning that there was anybody here who has not accepted Jesus as the Lord and Savior. God, that you are softening their hearts and preparing them to receive the gift of salvation. That they can move from condemned to a child of God. And Lord, I pray for any who are feeling oppressed or overwhelmed and and the guilt and shame and and all those things that come on us when we stumble and fall, Lord, I pray that you will silence the voice of the enemy, that we also will stand on the truth, that we have totally been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, that we are his children, and that we will just surrender ourselves afresh and anew to the leading of your Holy Spirit and continue on that path till Jesus Christ, your Son, returns. Pray your blessing over all that are here. I pray your protection over all that will be traveling and are traveling this weekend with all the graduations and the first week of summer stuff. Lord, I pray that you will keep them safe, protect them, watch over them. Pray you would bless our military men, past and present. And God, we are reminded of those who gave ultimately their lives in defense of a nation. Lord, we pray all these things that you would receive glory and honor in it. In Jesus' name, amen.